0: hello and welcome to name drop san diego i'm your co-host abby hamblin along with christy totten our guest today is congresswoman sarah jacobs she's a democrat from san diego and she was sworn in just three days before rioters overran the u.s capitol on january 6th she was in the gallery of the house chamber at the time of the attack and we talk extensively about that in this interview she also talks about why she supports impeaching president donald trump and prioritizing COVID-19 relief in Congress. Here's our interview with Representative Sarah Jacobs.
1: Congresswoman, thank you for joining us. Uh, The first question, of course, is just like, what is the mood like in Washington right now?
2: You know, on Wednesday, a lot of us were afraid for our lives. Now there's a lot of anger about how any of this was allowed to happen. Uh, about the fact that there were clearly deficiencies in our security uh, that we were put so close to our lives being at risk uh, and a lot of determination that we will do the right thing. We will hold the president and anyone who incited or encouraged or committed these acts of violence accountable uh, and that we will move our country forward and we will do it in a way that holds people accountable and brings people together.
1: Yeah, you wrote for us last week that you do support invoking the twenty-fifth. Um, why is that worthwhile in the next, you know, week or so?
2: It's important that this current president, who is clearly uh, not well, uh, does not have access to the nuclear codes. Uh, There's a lot of national security incidences that he can cause uh, in a very short period of time and not a lot of constraints on his power to do so absent the 25th Amendment. Uh, And we don't know what else he could do in terms of inciting more riots and mobs because he knows that he is losing power. Uh, And so I think for our national security, it's important that we get him out of office.
0: So that day, January 6th, now gonna be a very famous day in American history. We were wondering if you could walk us through what you expected to happen that day and then kind of how it proceeded. I know it was a very difficult day for many, so I hope we're not asking too much there, but we'd love to hear what it was like for you.
2: Not at all. I think it's important to bear witness and to make sure people know exactly how close their uh, elected members of Congress got to uh, a real tragedy. Um, So the day started, we were all celebrating Georgia. I actually brought in a bottle of champagne to drink with my fellow freshmen, uh, one of which is the uh, the chair of the Georgia Democratic Party so that we could celebrate that we had just flipped the Senate. Um, And obviously we knew that it was a, a big and important day. We were told to get into the office early so that we could be inside because we knew protests would be outside. But I think all of us kind of felt that We got in early, we got got through the protesters, and once we were inside, we would be safe. Uh, I was really honored that I was one of uh, around 20 members of Congress who were chosen to be in the House chamber during the opening of the proceedings. So I was sitting in the House gallery, which is the balcony right above the House floor. Um, You know, it all started uh, pretty normally. We started getting alerts on our phone that certain office buildings were being evacuated. Um, but I was in touch with my staff who were in my office and, and you know, we decided I should stay where I was. And I even texted my parents, don't worry, the house floor is the safest place I could possibly be, um, which turns out to not be true. And my parents who uh lived through me being abroad in difficult places and thought they finally could sleep easy at night are unfortunately realizing that it's not not quite the case um so i was i was in the gallery um all of a sudden we saw we heard and saw capitol police running behind us trying to lock all the doors every balcony has its own door um there was commotion on the floor The speaker was taken out. We were still in proceedings and debate continued, actually. Um, And then uh, quickly, they told us to get our uh, evacuation hoods out. It's like a combination of a gas mask and um, like a fire hood. So they told us to get that out um, and be ready to use it if we had to. But for now, everything was okay. We kept going. And then all of a sudden, they were like, put your masks on. Get under your seats. Uh, We could hear the mob banging on the glass doors right behind us. Uh, We heard gunshots. We heard flashbangs. Then they told us to evacuate. Um, The gallery does not have a a straight way to get from one side to the other, so we had to climb under handrails and over chairs. Uh, I was with some of my colleagues who are a little bit older, a little bit more um, movement impaired, so I was helping them make sure that they could get under the handrails and and over the chairs. I still have some bruises on my side. Um, uh, At one point while we were evacuating, uh, Capitol Police told us to quickly get down again because they thought that there might be something. So we had to to quickly go under the seats. Uh, Finally, we we got out into a stairwell. Um, We're going down the stairwell and we saw on the ground uh, members of the riot subdued Uh, by Capitol Police on the ground. That's how close they were to us. Um, And then we were taken to a a couple of different uh, safe rooms before we were uh, eventually secured.
0: How did you feel during all of that? Because, I mean, from one thing to the next, that sounds like just worse to worse to worse.
2: Yeah, you know, I was afraid. Um, I've been in some pretty tricky situations. My background's working in conflict zones. Um, if this was definitely the closest I had ever felt to feeling like my life was really at risk. Um, and there was a moment there when I was really thinking to myself, like, well, at least if the mob gets us and they kill us, hopefully it will lead to positive change in this country. Um, and like thinking about what messages we needed to send out to make sure that would happen. Um, It was pretty scary, Um, I was really fortunate because I happened to be sitting right near Congresswoman Val Demings, who is a former police chief and Congressman Jason Crow, who's a former army ranger, Abigail Spangberger, Mikey Sherrill, were all in my little area. So uh, we had folks who were literally them as members of Congress standing at the doors, uh, protecting it, making sure everyone knew what to do. Um, And, uh, but it was, it was, really scary. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was
1: scared. Yeah, I think that's something I learned is that you guys have gas masks under your seats. I had not know. I did not know that previously. Um, Honestly, me neither. (laughs) um, Just wow. But uh, what is going to happen with the arrests? I know that we've seen more arrests take place in, you know, recent days, but uh, from what you've heard, yeah, what can we expect?
2: You know, I know that the FBI is uh, working hard to try and uh, identify anyone who was part of the insurrection uh, and hold them accountable. Uh, What we've heard is that there may be preliminary charges and then as they gather more evidence, those charges will be increased to the full scale of what we know they need to be. Um, I uh, wrote a letter with Congressman Ruben Gallego to the Department of Defense calling on them to uh, make sure that any member of the military, current or former, uh, is tried under UCMJ for sedition, uh, that they do an investigation to make sure that, you know, our taxpayer-funded training is not going uh, to overthrow our government, especially because every member of the military takes an oath to the Constitution, and so they should be held accountable to that. Um, So I think that there will be a number of different ways that that people are held accountable. And I'm hopeful that we do that to the fullest extent of the law.
1: And what's your understanding of how this happened? uh, You know, how the Capitol Police allowed this to happen? I mean, were they overwhelmed?
2: They were definitely overwhelmed. uh, And there are some members of Capitol Police who showed incredible bravery and valor in protecting us, Um, you know, who in some cases averted a real catastrophe and and we were moments away from the rioters getting to where we and the senators were. Um, And I think that there was a real failure in leadership um, As we saw, the force posture on Wednesday was very different than what it was over the summer for peaceful protests uh, in Washington, D.C. There's differing accounts over whose fault it is that the National Guard were not called in earlier, that there wasn't a, a, a secure perimeter. One of the things that concerns me is that initially in the morning, there were some pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC, which pulled Capitol Police, a way to investigate them. It, that, in my mind, is the classic maneuver uh, of people who uh, are highly trained and, and have a real plan on how they're going to to breach a building. And so, you know, I think it's a, a combination of lack of preparation, of the fact that there are protests all the time. And so, Capitol Police just didn't think this would be that different. Um, and that there was a real coordinated highly planned effort to overthrow our government and assassinate sitting members of Congress and the vice president. And I don't say that lightly, but I think that it's clear that in addition to the mob that we saw underneath the, the ones that seem a little bit more silly though, none of this is silly. There was a real, uh, a real threat.
0: So that was one of your very first days in office, actually. Um, And and you all returned back to work right afterwards. So what kind of happened from being, you know, sort of locked away, trying to be safe, and then everybody deciding, let's get back to this. And then not only that, but it went into the very early hours of the morning. So it's like, since you've been there, I feel like you must have just been nonstop.
2: Yeah, I haven't uh, slept much, Um, (laughs) but, you know, meeting the moment, as they say. Um, So we were in a safe room for a good part of the day. Uh, I think even as we were evacuating, all of us felt very strongly that it was important that we get back to the proceedings as soon as possible and that none of us wanted the mob to be able to disrupt the constitutional obligation that we all have to certify the election. So it was very clear um, among all of us that 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 was important. Uh, And I'm grateful that Capitol Police, working with the National Guard and the FBI, were able to secure the House floor so that we could do that. So I was in the holding room in the secure location for a while, eventually went back to my office to check on my staff who had been in in lockdown in my office this whole day, very concerned about my whereabouts. Uh, We decided then that we were going to call for impeachment, that it was clear that uh, if uh, inciting a violent insurrection against a, against our government is not an impeachable offense. I'm not sure what the founding fathers meant by one. Um, so we put out a statement and then a number of us who were in the gallery and on the house floor decided that it was really important that we personally went back, um, both for ourselves and our own you know ability to have closure and also for the country. Um, and so we all walked back and sat on the House floor for the entirety of the proceedings, um, voted uh, and, uh, you know, eventually certified the election, uh, as I'm glad we were able to do despite all of the um, events of the day. Does this change your legislative priorities at all? It definitely adds a layer to my legislative priorities. I think that there was always going to be a lot of work that we needed to do to repair from the four years of the Trump presidency uh, and the real divisions in our country that were not created by Donald Trump but were used by Donald Trump to his own ends Um, and so I think that that is only heightened I think that uh, we will have a lot to do to hold people accountable and to heal the divisions and to make sure that we fix the enabling environment um, addressing the fact that social media companies, were a, social media was a place where many of these people were radicalized. Um, you know, unfortunately, my background uh, is very relevant to these issues. I worked in countering violent extremism and uh, conflict prevention and stabilization and uh, post coup transitions. And so I think that there's a lot we'll need to do. Um, and we have to be able to walk and chew gum. We have to do this accountability and healing, and we have to also rebuild our country from the pandemic and the economic crisis that we are facing. Uh, We can't do one without the other. um, So it will just be an addition to my priorities. I don't think it really shifts them.
1: Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, Twitter and Facebook blocking President Trump from posting, um, you know, on one hand? They say it incites violence. On the other hand, you know, he says it's a First Amendment issue. Where do you stand?
2: I think it was long overdue, uh, long before he almost got me and my colleagues killed. Um, And I think we should should be clear. The First Amendment means that the government cannot prevent a person from saying something. It does not entitle you to a platform on a private company. Now, I also think that while I think it was the right thing to uh, ban him from those sites, that it leads to a broader question on social media and the kinds of decisions that we are ceding to private companies, um, decisions of what what, uh, what language, what discourse is in the public sphere, uh, when it gets shut down, and how all used to be things that governments decided. Um, you have accountability in government. Uh, you can not reelect someone if you disagree with what they did in a way that you don't have with private companies. And... We know that this is not the first time that social media has been one of the drivers of of, of violence. We saw it in Myanmar, Burma, uh, with the Rohingya. We've seen it in other countries. So I think that uh, that we'll need to have a broader conversation about what we need to do to, to fix the public discourse and make sure that these private companies are not the ones getting to make this decision and that these companies that we all use um, are not leading to radicalizing our population.
0: So, before all this, I believe you had an interview with KUSI where you said that a COVID relief package would be one of your either your number one priority or one of your number one priorities. Um, is that still the case? And what does that look like ideally for you, but also what's realistic?
2: I think we still need to get a, a COVID relief package done. Um, Time to vote. (laughs) Yeah, is it
1: the buzzer you were telling us about? What is that? That, That's the voting buzzer. It'll be done in a second. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love this as like an audio element of the podcast. We're leaving it.
2: (laughs) Great. That's how we know when we're uh, starting session. So uh, they just gaveled in. Um, So I still think a COVID relief package will be incredibly important to get done. Um, The pandemic has not gone away, in fact, when we were all in the secure location together um, many many members of congress apparently at least one has now tested positive for covid so it you know I'll be getting tested today to make sure that i'm okay um you know all this is happening under under this pandemic we're going through and the economic crisis that has caused. so i think we need a relief package as soon as possible i think we need to make sure that the assistance is going to those who need it most uh, our small businesses, our families. You know, I supported $2,000 checks. I think they should be monthly. I think they should be automatic until we, our unemployment level gets to a, a certain level that we agree is manageable for American families. Uh, one of the things I'm really focused on pushing for is to make sure that there's funding for childcare. Uh, as we just saw in the latest uh, labor statistics, um, almost all of the jobs that have been lost uh, have been uh, jobs done by women. And, and that is in part because of this childcare uh, crisis that we're facing. And so that would be a big push for me because we'll never really be able to have an equitable recovery if we don't have child care taken care of.
1: So now that Georgia is sending two Democrats to the Senate, uh, your party holds the majority in both houses um, or both sides of Congress. Um, what What can we expect to see?
2: You know, I think that this means we'll be able to really enact uh, President-elect Biden's vision to build back better, um, get a new COVID relief package, get an infrastructure bill that will allow us to create jobs and uh, start working to green our economy and address climate change and our carbon emissions. Um, I think that we'll be able to uh, pass the Voting Rights Act and other democracy reforms that are, frankly, one of the most important things we need to do um, because fixing our institutions and trust in them is one of the key things we need to do to really move forward from the insurrection that that we experienced. Um, but I also want to caution, most things in the Senate require 60 votes. We will have 51. Um, so. Um, we will do everything we can to get as much done as possible. Um, but I think it's also important to recognize that uh, the constraints still exist and uh, you know, really trying to manage people's expectations.
0: So let's talk a little bit about you um, more as a Congress member. You tweeted pretty early on that you were mistaken as a staffer. A lot of people were so mad about that on Twitter, and I'm sure that was extremely frustrating to you. Um, has that happened since? Like, how did that make you feel? It's just, I, I, everyone's pushing for more millennials in Congress and yet we put you there and that's how you're treated. Like, how's all that going?
2: Yeah, yeah, it has definitely continued to happen. Um, it's funny because Congresswoman Davis, one of the things she told me after I won was, you'll probably get confused for a staffer. I did when I got to Congress. And I was wow. like, no, 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 it's been 20 years. Surely it will be different now. And then I get to orientation, I'm standing next to another incoming member of Congress, who of course is a tall white male Republican, who, you know, looks like what you think, what people imagine. Um, And uh, he gets directed to the members uh, line and I get directed to the staff line. And of course, being the young woman that I am, I just go along with it. um but it's happened a, a few more times and um you know i understand um i do look young especially when we're wearing masks it's really hard to tell who's who um and and our staff is amazing i mean i love being a staff for when i was one and they do great work and honestly they're the ones who run the place so it's not like it's offensive to be confused for one um but you know it is uh something that i'm getting used to and actually on Wednesday, they told us to take off our our congressional pins while we were evacuating because they didn't want us to be a target. Uh, and I really had to decide if I was going to take it off so I wouldn't be a target, or if I was too worried that then Capitol the Police wouldn't know I was a member um, and wouldn't be directing me in the right place. So I ended up deciding to keep it on. Um, so that Capitol police would know uh, that they should be directing me to the right place and protecting me. But um, yeah, that's definitely something uh, that's unique to being a member
0: of Congress. Yeah, well, you- Christy and I are both millennials. Like, we're obviously more excited to see millennials in Congress. Um, you know, I think we've seen AOC kind of set the example of what younger people can bring to such a, uh, use whatever adjective you want to about Congress. Um, but what do you hope to bring, um, or how how do you hope to represent millennials uh, in a way that we can kind of all relate to?
2: Yes, I think our generation has a lot of really uh, unique experiences that I'm hoping to elevate in my time here. First of all, we are the first generation that's digital natives. So as we're talking about what we need to do on social media. I mean, I don't know about the two of you, but a lot of what we're talking about in terms of harassment and whatnot on social media, I've personally experienced as a young woman for a long time. Um, You know, I was not surprised that the same people who were trolling and writing these horrible things would then take that offline. Um, I think that we have a a different perspective in terms of the urgency of addressing issues like climate change, you know, issues like child care that I know many uh, of millennials are starting to uh, be dealing with now. One of the things I'm really focused on being a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House of on Armed Services is preparing our standing around the world after four years of the Trump administration. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, it's like being at school. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that should be it. Is it like on the wall? It's on the clock. Oh,
1: okay, nice. Yeah,
2: and then there there are dots on the clock that tell you different things. I'll be honest, I'm still learning what they tell you. (laughs) Awesome. Um, So uh, looking at my position on foreign affairs and on armed services and repairing America's standing around the world, our generation, has never known a day in our adult lives that the united states hasn't been at war and you know honestly i really wish that there were people in 2001 and 2003 thinking about the impact of their votes on our generation when they were doing that and so really thinking about how we end the forever wars and how we rebuild america's standing in a way that allows us to address the challenges that we're facing now which are very different than the challenges that we're facing before uh is it's going to be one of my my main things
1: um, when the mob took over Capitol Hill, there were some clear symbols of anti-Semitism. You are Jewish. Is that something you think a lot about? You know, when it comes to policy, you know, this isn't the first instance of anti-Semitism in recent years. What does that tell you about our our country, and how does that shape your priorities?
2: Yeah, it, it's interesting, and and actually, it's been something that I've really been struggling with. Um, you know, as a Jewish woman, I grew up hearing the stories of the Holocaust. None of my family, my immediate family was in it. We were all already in the United States. But obviously it's a big part of what you learn in Hebrew school and um and, and the teachings. Um, and all of our holidays are really based around these kinds of um uh, overcoming obstacles and and these times when when people try to eradicate the Jewish people. Um and at the same time, I myself am white passing and and feel very white passing and so um, try and be very mindful of this unique position that I'm in as as a white passing Jewish woman where I have a lot of the privileges um, that I have and also am the target of a lot of this anti-Semitism and hatred and I think that you know that was really highlighted on Wednesday when uh, I was sitting with some of my um, black colleagues in the gallery, and we were all afraid. We were all afraid because we were targets um, in a way that some of our other colleagues were not, although we were all obviously having our life threatened. And so um, I think that anti-Semitism and, and the rise of anti-Semitism that we've been seeing both here in the United States and around the world is is a Often a harbinger of these larger um, challenges that we're now facing, and I think that's the case here. That we can see it kind of as as the the forefront, the tip of the spear. You start seeing that, and then these these bigger challenges happen. Um, and it, it's honestly still something I'm I'm wrestling with. Um, there were people wearing shirts that said Team Ashwitz. Um, that six million wasn't enough. Um, you know, as I said, like I really my whole life obviously I'm Jewish. I, I uh, went to Hebrew school and synagogue, but really felt myself to be an, an am white passing. And so, um, you know, it for me also was kind of a wake up call that, um, you know, there's a lot of healing you need to do in this country and it, and it goes uh,
1: in many layers. How do you see that healing being done you know that's something uh, the president-elect has talked about it's something I think we all want but how does it actually get done
2: so in my experience working in, in conflict transitions you can never have healing without accountability so one of the most important things we have to do is hold Donald Trump hold my colleagues in Congress hold the media and and social media personalities and hold you know anyone who committed violence, to the highest account. Um, and you do really need to have that separation between anti democratic forces and the people who are supporting democracy small d. Um, then we need to have some really tough conversations with each other um, and do the difficult work of having um, accountability up between each other. Um, you know, I. I personally think we need something like truth and reconciliation, a process uh, in order to move forward both from the events of this past week and also the longer history uh, that America has. I think it's important to have the beginning of what can become a common narrative where you are talking about. As they say, the glory and the glory. That you're not saying everything the United States has ever done is bad, but you're also not minimizing all of the harm and damage the history of the United States uh, has also been a part of. And start to really bring people together, um, and 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 bring them out of their silos and get people to know each other. And, and you know, it takes a long time. It's very labor intensive, but that that's really the work we need to do. And then. Another piece I'm really focused on is making sure our institutions are up for the task. So a lot of, a lot of what enabled this to happen was that so many people on all sides have lost trust and faith in our institutions, in our leaders, um, and we have to fix that in a few ways. But one of them is making sure that our institutions actually are working and are able to address the challenges that people are facing because it's no, you know, it's no surprise that people don't trust institutions when they're not feeling like government or anyone is actually addressing what they're going through.
0: I I find it very curious, like something that I think about a lot as a journalist is how much we need to be on social media to share verified information, you know, get the facts out there to kind of fight disinformation. But on the other hand, those are the same platforms that are causing the most problems. Like we hope to start a good positive dialogue, you know, help people talk to each other and get to know each other yet on the same platform, horrible things are happening. Um, is that something that, I mean, are we gonna see you on Twitch anytime soon and Instagram and all these things that we're seeing
2: some people doing?
0: Or, I mean, wh- what are your thoughts about kind of where we go from here on social media?
2: You know, it's tough. And I think that's part of what I mean when I say that these are decisions that government has abdicated. So it shouldn't be an individual journalist or an individual person's decision or you know choice do i feed into this platform that i think is doing harm but also feel like it's important that my voice is there right it's up to us to set the rules so that you have platforms that aren't causing those harms or that those harms are at least minimized and so that's one thing I'll be focusing on from here in Congress. I myself, am, I'm on all the platforms, although I did just delete my personal Facebook page that I've had since high school. It was very freeing. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, on all the platforms, uh, I haven't tried Twitch yet. I'm not that cool, but I am on Instagram um, and Twitter and Snapchat and, and all of that um, because I, I think it's important That even in these platforms that you do, as you were saying, have that that positive voice and and have that uh, contribution. It's why I will go on almost any TV network. Um, I will talk to almost anybody because I actually think that change happens and healing happens when you do have those tough conversations and we're not going to be able to move forward if we only stay in our own bubbles and talk to people who we agree with.
1: Yeah, that reminds me of donald trump talking about fake news for all these years and really disparaging our industry um i mean how do you view the news do you think that it's mostly fair and you know is there work to be done to sort of repair um our reputation
2: so i think that similar to how we see anti-semitism as kind of the um a signal that things uh, are, could get worse, I think anti-journalism and anti-media sentiment tends to be one of those indicators that you see uh, often at the beginning of uh, a deep conflict. Um, we've seen it in countries around the world, and the United States used to be a place where we were um, promoting, you know, journalist rights and press freedom around the world, and we have now are going to have to rebuild our ability to do that credibly. Um, and I think we have to stand up for press freedom. We have to stand up for for journalism and the media. It's very important that we have um, people who are holding us accountable and and are making sure information gets out. And I think we also need to look really deeply about the flaws in our media ecosystem and atmosphere that in some ways contributed to the rise of someone like Donald Trump. Um, And I do think there needs to be a lot of um internal rethinking about how things are covered what is considered newsworthy um i can tell you as a young woman definitely the way the news has covered me is not always the same as they would a young man so um you know i think both both are true we need we need to fix the, the things that are broken in our media and we need to protect press freedom and our journalists um and really stand up to the really hateful and dangerous rhetoric uh, that Donald Trump has been uh, perpetrating
0: so back to um sort of the transition and you being a freshman in congress I'm curious what has surprised you the most since you've gotten there and what has also been your favorite thing since getting there
2: okay what has surprised me the most um is that it is really like college like (laughs) 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 it's really fun getting to know everyone yeah, you're getting to know everyone. You pick what clubs you want to join. You do a lottery to get what room you're going to be in and then where your office is kind of determines who your friends are going to be um, because you like hang out with the people on your floor. There's a lot of floor pride. Um, and orientation, new member orientation, really, I called it um, Congress school. Uh, it really felt like, uh, you know, all of that. Um, but I will say that the favorite part is that People always said this and I thought they were just being hokey, but it really does feel true that that we really are a family that we bicker and we disagree. Um, But when when guns were going off and a mob was right behind us um, and in a group of people who are probably notorious for being um, self centered and, and independent. Um, everyone was really looking out for each other and making sure that, you know, all of us got out safe, that that the people who had a harder time moving had someone next to them who could help. Um, and I can't tell you how many members have reached out to me checking in on me, even ones who I haven't actually met yet because COVID has made that more difficult. Um, and that is something I think I wish more people knew about Congress because I know from the outside it looks like nothing gets done and we just bicker, and it's true we need to do a better job of getting things done, and that's part of why I ran and why why I'm here. Um, but there is also this deep sense of camaraderie uh, that I think is really powerful.
1: So it really does feel like being a freshman all over again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they even call you that. Like, they even
1: call us freshmen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Do you so you ran one of your campaign slogans, I think, was a new generation of leaders like you want to be a new generation of leaders. Do you think that kind of the younger members can do or what personally do you plan to do? As you said, the perception is there that the bipartisanship is just awful and that there's not a lot of camaraderie. It's nice to hear that, you know, but as a member, what do you kind of hope to do or what do you think can actually be done to improve that?
2: Yeah, I um I think that there's a lot we as young members can do. And actually there are a group of us, uh, younger new uh, freshmen on both sides of the aisle who are right now working together to figure out what kinds of things we can do together to move our country forward and, and try and help heal and repair these wounds. Um, recognizing that we don't agree on a lot of things, but we do agree on uh, the fact that the insurrection was uh, completely uh, in, inexcusable, unconscionable, I don't even know what the right word would be for it. Um, And I think a big part of that is working together and and introducing bipartisan legislation. And we're also talking about how we can potentially do joint town halls and um, bring our constituents together, have some of those difficult conversations that we were talking about. Um, But it is also repairing the institution itself and making sure that in the day-to-day, people are hearing from their members, they're feeling engaged in the policymaking process. They feel like their member is listening even if they don't agree. And that's a lot of the work that I'm hoping to do around this um, institutional reform using my district office as as a pilot and example of how we can do things differently.
1: Okay, so moving away from politics, you are from San Diego. And we were wondering, what were you like as a young person here? What were the things that you were involved in and passionate about? Did you always want to be a congresswoman? Or was there, you know, other uh, aspirations when you were a kid? Okay, I never
2: wanted to be a congresswoman. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes, this was not in the plan. Um, You want to be president. (laughs) <laughs> no definitely not so you know when <laughs> the everyone Leslie Kid. The, and when everyone watched the west wing and everyone had like their favorite character i wanted to be kate the national security advisor i was not one of the like political people um i am probably one of the few people who grew up in san diego and i don't know how to surf um i think i've tried once I'm not very good at it there's still time <laughs> yeah i mean i suppose at this point though like if i've lasted this long
1: well, well, you got, yeah it's has like people been- that like own not riding a bike you're like i don't do it i can't do it that's that
0: i'm so yeah. curious now has there been a surfing member of congress is there like a famous
2: example yes um well all the hawaiians surf oh
0: well yeah yeah Makes but
2: sense. then um dana roerbacher used to surf all the time okay from Great. orange county yeah uh-huh. He's a weird dude but that was his thing okay okay um So I didn't do any of that. Um, Actually, both my grandfathers are electrical engineers and growing up, I was constantly told we need more women in engineering, which is true. So I thought I would go that route, uh, got into MIT. Um, I was always kind of a nerd. I um, was part of like the youth group at my synagogue. I did a lot of uh, some work with the San Diego, uh, back then it was called Youth and Community Services. I think it's just called Youth Services now um, uh, did, uh, uh, youth theater, um, at the, at the JCC, um, J Company, um, and, uh, yeah, and, but I, you know, I, I was always involved in community work and giving back, but I just thought I would do it as an engineer, um, not as a politician, and then, Um, My junior year of high school, I participated in a program that my parents actually um, started that brings Jewish teenagers together with Palestinian teenagers and um, Israeli Arab teenagers and Israeli Jewish teenagers um, to kind of have a dialogue and a one-year leadership program. I participated in it my junior year, uh, was the counselor for it my senior year of high school, uh, and kind of realized that... um, We do need more women in engineering, but being in a lab was not necessarily what was going to make me feel fulfilled and that I really would rather um, work with people. And so I ended up deciding to go to Columbia and studying um, political science and foreign policy and honestly still thought that I would um, be a policy advisor. Um, Stayed and got my master's lived in Ghana for a bit, worked at the U.N., worked at the State Department, worked for Secretary Clinton and was planning on going into her administration had she won. Um, And it was really only after Donald Trump became president. And uh, I kind of realized that all the people I'd looked up to my whole life um, didn't have the answers. And that at some point I had to stop writing things for other people to say and just start saying them myself if I really Uh, believed them and and felt like they'd moved the country forward. What?
1: Oh, go ahead. You go, Chrissy. Oh, I was just going to say, so you don't surf. Well, first of all, yes, women are um, underrepresented in engineering, but also arguably in government. So, you know, thank you for doing what you did. Um, So you don't surf, but you have to have a favorite burrito. So (laughs) where is your favorite San Diego burrito? Okay. This is a
2: contentious question. Okay. It's, I am worried that I'm going to lose some supporters. So people don't <laughs> hate me. I'm so sorry. Um, but it's definitely the California burrito from Lolita's no sour cream add beans. That's, that sounds like
0: a great order. That seems yeah. like a safe choice. Actually. Yes. Yeah. California. I thought you were going to say something even crazier than that.
2: Um, <laughs> but what are your favorite things to
0: do in San Diego? Like when you're not campaigning, what, what do you, you know, like to do? Um,
2: I, um, live right by Balboa park so i've really enjoyed like running around the park that was my exercise during quarantine when all the gyms were closed um and i play tennis um and um i just love my favorite thing is like walking around neighborhoods and wandering around like south park and stopping into all the little small businesses and grabbing a cup of coffee with friends um i love brunch one day we'll all get to have brunch again um, and I do love going to the beach despite not surfing, but I'm more of the, like, dip your toe in the water, do a little bit of swimming, hang out, tan on the beach kind of person.
1: Um, so Balboa Park, are you for or against the observation wheel, like the Ferris wheel they're considering uh. putting there? You know, I, do, I don't have a public
0: position on that, but thanks <laughs> for Come asking. on, <laughs> we'll check back in two months. <laughs> um, okay, you did mention your, um grandparents and you obviously have a very famous grandfather. And I think a lot of people focus, especially during the campaign, on you know his wealth and stuff. But that's still just your grandpa, you know, and he's very successful. And as you said, you know, engineering, very important field. What kind of life lessons? How close um, are you and what kind of life lessons did you take um, from for those who don't know, co-founder of Qualcomm? Um,
2: we're very close um, and I think that some of the most important lessons he taught me were one to always ask why and not settle for how things are and how they, they've always been done. You know, when he um, first started Qualcomm, there was a different standard for cellular technology and he figured out that what he had been working on would be better and had to go and convince everyone and not... Uh, not just let it happen the way that it was going to. Um, And obviously we've seen that that's been successful and it's changed how things happen, but that that kind of relentless pursuit of making things better and constantly questioning and asking why um, is something he taught me. And I'll say the second big lesson he taught me was that you can be really successful and still be a good person. Um, My grandfather is one of the most ethical people I've ever met. There are stories of when he was at Qualcomm and someone accidentally faxed him something that was meant to go to his competitor and he wouldn't even look at it. He just sent it back. Um, He doesn't use curse words. (laughs) Um, He's just like, um, you know, I think a lot of people think that the only way to to become successful is to be a bully or to compromise on some of your your morals. And, And he really showed me that that doesn't have to be the case. And then I think lastly, the big lesson he always taught me was that we were able to live the American dream. He was the first in his family to go to college. Um, He went on scholarship, he worked at MIT and then UCSD. Um, And it was only because of these public investments that he was able to do what he did. And that because he got to, it was my responsibility to make sure that other families had the kinds of opportunities that ours did. And that I was never allowed to just like, okay, great. I can live this nice life. That's it. But that like no amount of money will, will be, will make you feel fulfilled if there are so many people around you who are struggling to survive. And that it was my unique responsibility as someone who had benefited from this system
1: to work, to, to fix, to make it better. So you've just started Congress. You're a few days in. It's been very exciting. Um, you can stay there for a while if you want, right? But uh, what? how will you know your work there is done? That's a good question.
2: Um, well, I'll be honest, this was not in the five-year plan, so it's hard to say what the next five-year plan is. Um, I think one of the things I've learned in the past five years or so is that you, you can plan, but life has its own way of doing things. Um, But for me, it's really about rebuilding trust in government and governance and institutions and bringing our governance and institutions both domestically and internationally into the world that we're living now so that we can address these challenges that that we're facing and that will have huge impacts on the future like climate change, like rules for these new technology systems Um, and so, um, I think I'll know my, my work here is done when, um, some of those systems have been changed and that we are doing things differently. It's not just about changing an individual policy. It's about changing how we're making policy.
0: Very nice. And how are you liking living in DC so far? I know you've been there before, but you know, how's that whole move aspect of it going?
2: Well, it's very cold.
0: Um, I definitely
2: miss San Diego. It was
0: 70 yesterday. Sorry to tell (laughs) you.
2: No, you'll appreciate that when I first started new member orientation and had to fly like the week after the election, I didn't have any coats. I had to, I had to buy a coat when I got here. Um, so, um, that has been a change. I miss Mexican food. It's not just, if you come visit DC, don't try. Just wait till you get back home. That is so Um, sad. (laughs) But, but otherwise uh, I've been enjoying it and trying to get settled in uh, amidst uh, all of the events of the past week. Is the
0: food in the cafeterias there like college too? Or do you guys, (laughs) do the members of Congress get good food at work?
2: Um, It's not (laughs) dorm food, but it's like there are, there's a Dunkin' Donuts and a Subway. So it's not that different. And I will say, so my office is in Longworth, and part of why we chose Longworth is because we were told it has the best cafeteria. I love it.
1: Good. Um, Well, I think one of your priorities should be bringing, excuse me, good Mexican food to the capital. Um, Mm -hmm. But final question for you, uh, because we're called Name Drop, we like to ask our guests to name drop somebody in our community here in San Diego that um, has really influenced you. You know, somebody that you'd like to give a shout out to that, um, yeah, has made a difference in your life.
2: Is it cheating if I say my grandfather? No, it's totally uh, not. <laughs> My grandfather. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's a great answer.
0: Uh, anything more you want to add about him? I feel like there's people know a lot about him, but like, that's your grandpa. Like you probably know the like stories about like what he likes on his ice cream sundae and you know.
2: <laughs> he loves ice cream, like all <laughs> ice cream. It doesn't matter what ice cream. Um, sometimes when there's not. Cream to put in his coffee at a restaurant or something he'll just put ice cream in his coffee oh that's awesome
0: yeah, yeah I don't think I've ever tried that <laughs> it's delicious yeah all right I'll have to try that sometime sometimes yeah no
2: I mean he he's my grandpa and I will say like I think probably with a lot of people who have been really successful they have an external persona and an internal persona like what what you all see is what we see like he that's just him he's He's a grandfather, he, he, um, he cares a lot about our community and, and everyone in it and really helping to build the institutions here. And he really is the same at home as he is outside and, and that's something I, I aspire to as well.
0: Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Name Drop San Diego. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating and a review on your favorite listening app. You can find us online at Name Drop San Diego on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening and see you next time!